Some years back, I had the opportunity to climb to the summit of Mount Sinai, the holy mountain upon which God gave to the people of Israel the Ten Commandments. It's quite tall and rugged and difficult. In fact, I started my climb at about 3 o'clock in the morning in order to avoid the scorching sun. The climb took hours, and the last thousand feet or so were especially difficult. The monks who had carved steps into the rock for some reason made the steps about this high, so it was like the Stairmaster from hell. As I approached the holy summit, there was a little wooden building at the top, and on it was a sign that read, Coke is the real thing. That's a sign of our times and a sign for our times, isn't it? Aren't we all really in a search for the real thing? I think that is a deep desire and a longing in our lives, an aching emptiness in us. Where is that thing or that event or that person that can lift us up and celebrate us, that can give us comfort in bad times, that can make us feel better, that can help us glue ourselves together when everything becomes extraordinarily difficult. That's what I want. I want the real thing, something that will hold me together. And there are many people, places, events in our culture that want to be that for us. They're quite willing to sell it to us. In a few days, my wife and I will be taking off for Jerusalem, where we will be spending Holy Week and Easter. In the old city of Jerusalem, there are many little narrow streets, and all along those streets are shops. And you can buy food, clothes, candy, tea, household wares, almost anything you can think of. And as you walk past them, the owners of the shop come out and they say, come, come, look, look, I'll have a bargain for you. Come, come. There are many things in our culture that say that, don't they? Come, look, buy, and you'll get the real thing. Today's reading from Philippians, a letter that Paul wrote, has an extraordinarily profound and in some ways shocking comment given what we think about the real thing. Paul says, I am willing to give up everything, everything I count, everything, now note that, everything I count as a loss for the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Or to translate that, Jesus Christ is the one 
and only real thing. Now, Paul is not saying this lightly. In the early verses of that lesson, he tells us what he considered his gains or his assets in life. He had an impeccable pedigree. He had found a a purpose in life that energized him, that compelled him. He did everything the right way. In fact, he says, I was blameless. And yet, Paul says, it's rubbish compared with the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. Side comment, rubbish? In the good old King James Bible, it's dung. I want to know Christ Jesus and the power of his resurrection. That's Paul's theme song. That's the refrain that runs through his whole life. I want to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection because he's the real thing. Maybe you have read Albert Camus' novel, The Plague. It's quite simple. The narrator, an unknown person, tells us about a city without a name that's under lockdown because it is plague time. It's a story about fear and panic and suffering and ultimately death. Now, it doesn't take a gigantic leap of literary imagination to understand that Camus is not talking about a fictional city. He's talking about our world. And aren't there days and times in your life when that's the way you feel? I'm trapped. I'm afraid. I'm panicked. And death is around the corner. We've all been through this the last two years. We live the plague. The problem is, in that fictional city, nothing is quite right. Nothing is quite right. Now, in Paul's vocabulary, that word right is extremely important, and he uses it all the time. He uses it in the sense that we might say, uh, I'm in the right, or I have the right of way, or I'm part of a righteous cause. And he talks about the rightness or the righteousness of God. That God is the right cause. That God is the one with the right of way. That God is right totally integrated and holy. And God shares that rightness with us. And that's Paul's theme song, isn't it? 
that God in God's infinite mercy for us reaches through everything that is painful and problematic and perplexing in our life. God reaches through all of that to grab us and make us God's own. And for Paul, again, this is, an, is not an idle assertion. And he points to the resurrection. The resurrection. Now that's what we're getting ready for. Lent is all about getting ready for resurrection. The proper preface, you know, talks about uh, preparing with joy for the Paschal feast. Getting rid of the clutter in our lives so that we can focus on resurrection. And in that event, God raised Jesus from the dead so that Jesus is now beyond the power of death, living alive, active in our lives, in the church, and even in the world. Now that's what holy baptism is about. It's the portal into that reality. It's the door into the new creation. It opens the power of the resurrection in our lives. And it allows God to reach in, into our lives and say, I am going to make things right. In the, in the phrases from Eucharistic Prayer B, from error to truth, from sin to righteousness, from death to life, that's the way God works. Whenever the risen Lord is present, it will be that sort of motion from the deathly to the lively. And baptism, in baptism, we're joined to that. That's the real thing. That's what we've been looking for. The Savior who will enliven us and lift us up and carry us through and always be in the process of making things right, making things real. When I was a, a bishop in Montana, I would sit in my cathedral in my chair, my cathedra, and there were certain things that I could see uh, prominently. There were angels in a window up above with incense worshiping God. Back on the side was a stained glass portrait of the first bishop of Montana, Daniel Sylvester Tuttle, one of the real heroes of the American church. And he was always looking at me, frowning. Something was wrong, but I could never quite figure it out. And that particular building had a thing called a, a rude beam. It's a big wooden beam that goes from about there across to there. And it always has on top of it a rood, R-O-O-D. That's an old-fashioned word for the cross. And on the back of the rude beam, which I could see very well, was a huge wooden shield and you could see it as you came back from communing on the body and the blood of Christ you could look up and see it, it had four Greek letters 
Nu, Yoda, Kappa, Epsilon. It's a word you know. Nike. It means victory. Victory. I want to know Christ Jesus and the power of his victory. Because that's the real thing.